Hey y'all, Eves here. Today's episode contains not just one, but two nuggets of history. These are coming from the TDIHC vault, so you'll also hear two hosts. Consider it a double feature. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's October 12th. The iron lung was used for the first time on this day in 1928. The iron lung is mostly associated with polio, and polio is a viral disease. It primarily affects children under the age of five, although obviously not exclusively children under the age of five. In addition to symptoms like fever and headache and vomiting, polio attacks the nervous system and it causes paralysis. Because of its typically young patients and the way the disease progresses into paralysis, it's also been known as infantile paralysis. Polio still exists today, and there is still no cure for it, but it is preventable with vaccines. So while polio is rare to non-existent in some parts of the world today, it's endemic in a few others, and it can spread from one part of the world to the other. Sometimes as polio progresses and it causes paralysis, it paralyzes muscles that are associated with breathing. It, It affects a person's ability to breathe. And before the introduction of the iron lung, this was usually fatal. Often, but not all the time, the paralysis caused by polio is temporary. So people thought if there was some kind of way to keep patients breathing during this paralysis, that they might recover afterward. But they just didn't know how to do that, how to keep people breathing. And that brings us to the iron lung. The iron lung is more properly called the negative pressure ventilator. It looks like a big metal cylinder, large enough for a person's whole body, minus their head, to fit into, so it's from the neck down. Typically, there is a bed inside of the tube that can be slid in and out of the cylinder, which allows the patient to be removed and returned when necessary. There are windows and portholes in the sides of the cylinder that let caregivers touch the person inside and adjust their bedding, generally care for them while they're in the respirator. The iron lung works by alternately lowering and raising the pressure inside of this chamber. So when the pressure is lowered, air is drawn into the lungs through the patient's nose and mouth. And then when the pressure is raised, the air is pushed back out, and that forces the patient to exhale. It also allows them to speak during that exhaled breath. So for a person who's using an iron lung, speech is usually timed to the machine's cycle of breathing. The iron lung was developed by Philip Drinker, who at the time was an assistant professor in the Department of Ventilation and Illumination at the Harvard School of Public Health. He developed the idea of creating some kind of a ventilator for polio patients when he went to Children's Hospital in Boston. He was trying to figure out a temperature control issue in a room that was used to care for premature infants. And while he was there, he saw children with polio who were just struggling to breathe. The device that he developed was at first called the Drinker Respirator, and it was used for the first time in a clinical trial at Children's Hospital. And that trial started on October 12, 1928. This first iron lung was a lot boxier than the tube-like respirators that were used later, and it was powered by two household vacuum cleaners. It completely changed the world of polio treatment, though. It allowed patients with temporary paralysis to keep breathing until their bodies recovered and they were able to breathe on their own again, and it provided ongoing breathing support for people whose paralysis was permanent. 
Today, iron lungs have almost completely been replaced by other respiration technologies, but as of 2014, there were only about 10 in use around the world still. Mostly, they were with people who had survived polio in childhood back decades ago. You can learn more about the iron lung and the contexts in which it has been used in the November 21st, 2011 episode of Stuff You Missed in History class called Polio, the Dread Disease. And in the January 30th, 2017 episode, Ed Roberts and the Independent Living Movement. Thanks to Tari Harrison for all her audio work on this podcast. And you can subscribe to this day in history class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcast. You can tune in tomorrow for the return of a language. Hey y'all, I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a podcast for people interested in the big and small moments in history. The day was October 12, 1810. Crown Prince Ludwig married Princess Theresa of Saxe Hildburghausen, and the citizens of Munich were invited to celebrate the occasion in the fields in front of the city gate. This celebration is the origin of Oktoberfest, a festival and fair in Munich that's held annually and attracts visitors from around the world. In the days after the marriage, the people of Bavaria gathered in front of the Zinlinger Tor, a gate leading to Munich. The festivities in the inaugural year of Oktoberfest included a feast and horse races, which around 40,000 people attended. The fields where the celebration was held have been dubbed Theresian Visa, which means Teresa's Meadow, after the crown princess. Today, locals often call the celebration Wiesen, after the nickname for the fairgrounds. Oktoberfest was held again in 1811, including horse races, drinking, and feasting. But that year, an agricultural show was also part of the festivities. The 1813 Oktoberfest was canceled because of the Napoleonic Wars. But after that, the Oktoberfest began to grow. In the beginning, there weren't many amusements to choose from. The first carousel and two swings were set up in 1818. After 1819, Oktoberfest was planned as an annual event, and more beer stands and attractions were added. The duration of the festival was lengthened and moved to the end of September to take advantage of longer and warmer days. Ludwig became king of Bavaria in 1825, and Theresa became queen, and they remained so until Ludwig abdicated and his son, Maximilian II, took the throne in 1848. Still, Oktoberfest continued, though it has been canceled in many years because of war, cholera, hyperinflation, and other things that disrupted the normal course of events. Electricity began powering the festival around 1880, and beer tents were introduced years after that. Beer has been served in glass mugs at Oktoberfest since 1892. Horse races are no longer featured, but the agricultural show still happens once every four years. Oktoberfest grew to include amusements like bowling alleys and dance floors, and cities outside of Germany that were home to many German-descended residents began hosting Oktoberfest celebrations based on the original event held in Munich. Though Oktoberfest is celebratory, in the early 1930s, the festival did serve as a vehicle for Nazi propaganda and nationalistic pride, and Jewish people were forbidden from working on the fairgrounds. 
Now Oktoberfest begins in late September and lasts until the first Sunday in October, and parades kick off the festivities. Though the event has expanded to include concerts, theater, and other productions, and it draws millions of people, it's still an important part of Bavarian culture. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you're hungry for more history, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at T-D-I-H-C podcast. And you can send your thoughts or comments to us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you here again tomorrow with another episode. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.